Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris, broadcasting from my wife's laundry room once again, sporting my Mike Lindell My Pillow loungewear. That's right, I finally got it in the mail. Uh, and it is very comfortable, I must say. They did not pay me to say that, but I will say it because I think Mike Lindell is getting uh, a rough deal. And it's very concerning what we, we're seeing form right before us, where the government, big business, big tech, the entertainment industry, all in lockstep and forcing people, uh, canceling people, forcing them to do things they don't believe in, um, uh, just being bullies. And it's, it's, out of, it's, it's not good, guys. It's really, really not good. And so uh, I think to support people who are being canceled, Mike Lindell being one of them right now, um, I think it's good to, to, to purchase something from his website. It's good quality stuff. It's not like you're purchasing something that's uh, terrible that you didn't want. And actually, I, I, I'm wondering why I didn't have loungewear before. I never had it, though. I just it wasn't me. But now, now it is. So uh, go to MyPillow.com if uh, you need pillows or any of the other accessories he has. I think he's got all sorts of things. Um, you know, towels and, you know, sleepwear and comforters and bathrobes and all kinds of things. So you can go check that out. Help support someone who uh, is getting canceled for doing the right thing, in my opinion. He's trying to shine a light on something that happened that, uh, frankly, um, should shock everyone more than this supposed capital riots, whatever that means. We're going to talk about that in a minute a little bit more. But it, it, it should shock everyone, and he's being canceled for even talking about it. So um, so, so go there, help them out if you can. Uh, I'd encourage it. And we're going to talk a little more in the program later on about cancel culture because we have some, uh, well, let's just say some people's sense of proportion is a little off. We have um, some examples of people getting canceled and then some other people on the left saying things more extreme, but their careers are blossoming. And we're going to shine a little bit of a spotlight on that. Uh, but here, here are the two other things that we're going to talk about. Uh, today, if I can bring them up here, uh, we are going to talk about the impeachment trial, what the purpose is, and then we're going to talk about the social justice movement and how it's not really a fad. And I'll show you examples of people, at least one person saying it is. I, I may mention a few others. Um, people that I love, by the way, and have no bone to pick with uh, at all um, on a personal level, in the least. But um, but I, I, I want to I want to share with you why I think it's important for me to talk about this even briefly, and then uh, and then yeah, and, and we'll get to the cancel culture stuff. So let's start with the impeachment stuff. Now I'm heard, I'm sure you've heard from Republicans. Ted Cruz, I just heard say this this morning that this is just motivated by hatred for Donald Trump. That's all this is. So it's just motivated by hatred for Donald Trump. Trump derangement syndrome is causing this because everyone knows they can't get the votes. It's it's meaningless uh, is is what a lot of other people are saying. They're they're saying it's meaningless. Uh, it's 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 a sham. It's political theater. I say no. I say that that's 
yes, but there's more to it. There's 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 a bigger thing going on here. I think Hillary Clinton actually, and I should have probably brought this screenshot up. She said it. Uh, I'll see if I can pull it up um, earlier today. Uh, let's she she see if I can find the quote. She said, and I quote from. Hillary Clinton, if Senate Republicans fail to convict Donald Trump, it won't be because the facts were with him or his lawyers mounted a competent defense. It will be because the jury includes his co-conspirators. In other words, she's saying that the Republicans uh, in the Senate would be co-conspirators with Donald Trump uh, to foment what they're calling the Capitol insurrection, which we're going to talk about why that's probably not an appropriate term to use. But that's, I think that's getting at where the goal of, of this is. It's not just hatred for Donald Trump. It's hatred for anyone who was there, who would support uh, what, uh, the, the idea that there was election fraud. Uh, anyone who um, is a, a seated Republican, who represents probably many of you who are listening, this is an attack on all of you. This is what you need to realize. This isn't just about Trump. Trump, there, there was a meme that went around for a while. I don't maybe some of you saw it of Trump. He's kind of like in black and white looking at the camera. And then the meme said something like, you know, they, they're only going after me because they can't get, you know, go, they have to come through me to get to you, something like that. So the hatred is really directed at, at, at us, but uh, at meaning middle Americans, conservative Americans, people that don't go along with the, the Great Reset agenda, that kind of thing. That it's, it, hatred is directed at them, but they can't do much because Trump's in the way. I think there's some truth to that. I, I don't think all the hatred for Trump was, was they just really legitimately didn't like Trump. Some people didn't. Um, but you have to somehow balance that with the fact that Trump was in the entertainment industry and business world before ever running for president, and he was quite popular. People liked him. He hosted Saturday Night Live. He was in movies. You know, um, they didn't have a problem with him back then. Now I realize not all of his views were shaped by then, and they weren't known, and he wasn't governing. I get all that, but some, it was like a, a switch flipped when he decided to run for president, and people started taking him seriously. That's when the the switch flipped. It was when people started taking him seriously, and they would actually vote for him. Then all of a sudden, he was a danger. It, it's because of the support he had by regular, decent, common, working class, mostly Americans. That's that's really what it comes down to. And by the way, mostly Americans that are influenced by even if it's even if they're not Christians themselves, some kind of uh, a vestige of a Christian understanding of right and wrong in some way. That's my that's my thinking on this. I I don't think that this impeachment trial is about Trump as much as it is about the the people that uh, took hope in Trump, supported Trump. It is to condemn anyone, to suppress anyone who would say that there was election fraud. That's what they're going after. And um, and, and I think I'm going to show you some things. Uh, I think this kind of, uh, it, it's just interesting. I, it plays into this whole idea that this is beyond just Donald Trump. And Karen Swallow Pryor, she's a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, used to be at Liberty University. And she's very popular. She's one of the most popular, I'd say, other than probably Beth Moore. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm comfortable saying that. Other than Beth Moore, she's probably one of the most popular uh, social media users on, in the evangelical world, if you want to call it evangelical. I don't even know what to call it anymore, but formerly evangelical world. Here's what she said. Watching the new footage from the Capitol insurrection, my heart is sick. So th this is, you know, okay, they're not going to be able to convict Trump. No. But what, what effect is this having on some people? This is the effect it's having. They're getting to show all these, these images that they want to use to vilify the people who supported who? The GOP. 
Here's your next sentence. I'm incapable of understanding how any member of the GOP can place party above democracy, order, and human life. Having voted Republican most of my life, I'm also incapable of imagining ever doing so again. And then she tags Ben Klein and Bob Good, who are both Virginia uh, members of um, the Senate. I don't understand. I thought she lived in North Carolina, so I don't understand why she's tagging them. But, you know, she wants them to know this is how she feels about this. Now, uh, <laughs> this is dripping with irony and hypocrisy. Uh, it's almost every almost every other word has like a problem with it, in my opinion. But 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 the big picture, I think Gordon Sanchez captured. I want to uh, you can go to at Gordy for justice to follow him on Twitter. Here's the thread he made. OK, I got to go out of character. If you watch the Democrats Capitol video and are shocked, appalled and weepy without being that way all summer, there are many adjectives that describe you. But the one that comes to mind the most is nationalist. Think about it. A violent movement, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, founded on lies, took to the streets and killed, maimed, burned, looted, declared de facto war on local private citizens. Violence was random and didn't seem to ever line up at all with the ideological vision of the movement. Fed up Americans that felt like they had no recourse went to the number one place it makes sense to go to declare their grievances, violent and nonviolent alike, to the U.S. Capitol, the center of power, decision making, etc., the sensible place to go. So if number one was merely an expression of justice, but number two was an unhinged, evil, dangerous assault on democracy, you are by definition a nationalist. Why? Because you only care about a hubbub when it's at the seat of democracy. You're obsessed with the nation, not its people. Let me read that to you again. You're obsessed with the nation, not its people. He's absolutely right. David French, Russell Moore, Karen Swallow Pryor, um, Eric Erickson, these guys who couldn't find the will to condemn the Black Lives Matter and Tifa riots in these kinds of terms, in these strong terms over the summer, I'm not saying none of them ever said anything against it, but it wasn't this. Their sense of proportion way off. They couldn't find the will to do that, but they have suddenly the fighting ability to go after all these evil, evil Trump supporters. And the, the lie that they spread in their minds about rigging the election, etc. That makes them nationalists. That means they don't care about the little guy as much. The, li the little guy who's, who's you know, what, over a billion dollars of property destruction, over a thousand police injured, murders. They don't care about that stuff as much as they do the temporary uh, storming of the Capitol. And I use that word for a reason. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I use it because it's not an, it wasn't an insurrection. The coup, the insurrection, the revolution, that happened on the 7th in the early morning hours. It wasn't on the 6th, it was on the 7th when there was a vote taken to certify a fraudulent election. That's the understanding many of these people are coming with. Now, Karen Swallow Pryor is mimicking the same thing that elites in the media and Hollywood and pretty much every other field you can think of are also saying. They're, they're signaling how emotionally disturbed they are about these images of people inside the Capitol, um, some, some broken uh, mirror, a broken mirror, broken glass here. Let me, let me put this in perspective for you once again. I, I put out a, a number of things about this because I was um, outside the Capitol. I was there for the voter integrity uh, rally 
and I knew five other people in the crowd. None of us knew what was happening in the Capitol. There's about a million people there. And the people in the Capitol were at best a few hundred. And of those people who made it into the Capitol, I'm, and this is a liberal estimate, guys, liberal estimate, meaning it's probably less than this, in my opinion. 60 maybe, 60 people involved with, with the storming, with using force to try to get in. That's a liberal estimate. Most of the people who got in came behind those people and didn't know about the struggle that happened. Police in some videos were welcoming them in. They didn't know. This is a little more complicated than the, the, these puritanical individuals want to make it, that it's just this black and white thing. It's not. It's, it's way bigger than that. And their sense of proportion is completely off. Now, it doesn't justify the damage done, some of the, the violence that happened. But to, to, this was, to, um, to, to call this an insurrection, though, is just disingenuous. It was a very confusing situation, if you look at it from a bird's eye view. If you look at it from just those, those, the people that were using force to get in the Capitol, if you want to look at just them, then you'd have to say uh, they were disorganized for the most part. Unless, unless, by the way, unless you want to focus on, like, John Sullivan and... Uh, you know, the supposedly the police officer, the Capitol Police officer who shot the young lady, uh, who's who's a BLM um, activist of some kind, or there's some evidence to, to that to that effect, at least uh, the pipe bombs that were planted. Um, if you want to look at those things as there's some premeditation going on and or insinuating that there might have been. Sure. OK, but then you're not looking at Republicans in the Senate motivating this are you you're looking at probably uh people on the left that are planning and organizing it and maybe some radical extremists on the right i don't i don't really know it's it's there's a lot of smoke right now in in the fog of war and we, and we may never know some of this stuff to what extent was there planning beforehand etc but what we do know is from even all the camera angles it was very confusing very confusing and the, the, the goal seemed to be just to, to get in there to somehow, in some naive fashion, those who I'm putting, those who had the, the best construction on this, who, who really thought that they were doing something good uh, in an ignorant way, they were going in to try to stop a revolution from taking place. Because certifying a fraudulent vote in their minds, that's what that would have been. Uh, I, don't, I don't see, how, how do you say that's an insurrection? Um, storming of the Bastille, you could say that's an insurrection. <laughs> uh, very organized, uh, very, um, uh, with, with even uh, military help. Uh, you had, uh, I mean, typical revolutions, look at the Bolshevik Revolution. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot more at play than just some confused people uh, wandering around the Capitol and some others who are trying to make their way to uh, the halls of power to notify their senators to, or congressmen to stop to, to not uh, certify a vote. Some of them using, using uh, breaking things along the way. Some of them cleaning up things along the way. When trash cans got uh, knocked over, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of them inside the Capitol cleaning it all up. So you, to, to say this is an insurrection, that's just, it, it's a lie. I don't know how else to characterize it. It is a lie. Um, I'm incapable of understanding how any member of the GOP can place a party above democracy. 
Well, now she's making a few logical jumps. She's she's making the, the jump that Donald Trump motivated this somehow, and that GOP members who don't vote to convict Donald Trump are complicit with the worst things that happened inside the Capitol. And there were some bad things, which are certainly worthy of being condemned. But there's two huge jumps here going on. And this is these are the exact jumps the media wants you to make. And they're stupid. They're 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 actually crazy. Uh, the time sequence doesn't work. <laughs> the people are already the, the, the worst actors in this whole thing. Those the wor- the, the worst uh, provocateurs had already were already doing their thing before Trump had even finished his speech. They weren't at the speech. Uh, Trump said to uh, go um, make your voices heard peacefully and patriotically. Um, you can't put this on Trump at all. Uh, you can't um, put this on members of the GOP either. That somehow they, from sitting in their chamber, were part of this, or because uh, you know they they're not going to stand up to Trump and impeach him that they're part of this. They might be worried about the precedent that sets to impeach someone who's a private citizen. It hasn't happened before. So <laughs> this is bigger than Donald Trump. This is this is about pushing a narrative, and Karen Saul Pryor is carrying water for that narrative, like you wouldn't believe. And the concern for what happened on the seventh. Not there. The concern for what happened all summer? Not there. Hasn't been there. Not like this. Uh, one of the things, and I, I keep pointing this out, one of the things Jesus went after the Pharisees for was their sense of proportion. They're, they're trying to, to strain those gnats while swallowing camels. That's exactly what she's doing. That's exactly what you're seeing from the evangelical left. There is no standard, that, no, no, no objective standard that doesn't change. The standard changes a, a whole lot depending on who it is. And that's not justice. That's not justice. If um, justice is applying a standard faithfully, no matter who is the one that's being the provocateur or doing something wrong, it's the action that they're engaged in that makes it wrong, not who they are. Karen Swallow Pryor, you're, um, you're engaging just like many, like David French, like Eric Erickson, like Russell Moore, you're engaging impartiality. And it's a sin, and you need to repent. And that's all I have to say about that. But I want you guys to see how this is being used, and maybe think through ways of, of, of responding to it if you know people that believe that kind of thing. Here's the political context going on to to, to sort of turn the heat up on this. Um, who, who is benefiting from Karen Swallow Pryor and what she's saying? Who's benefiting from this stuff? Well, here's an article in the New York Times recently. A century ago, white Protestant extremism marched on Washington, and it's a picture of a bunch of Klansmen in the 1920s. Yeah, that's what happened on the 6th at the Capitol. It's a bunch of extreme Protestants. That's what it is. It's Christian. That's, that's what motivated this. How about the Politico? Politico.com. It's time to talk about violent Christian extremism. They're not just going after Trump guys. They're going after Christians. If you can't see the writing on the wall, I, I don't know how to help you at this point. These are just two examples. But people on the evangelical left are carrying the water for them. They're saying, yeah, those people are right. That's, this, is, this is what's been happening, this whole anti-Christian nationalist thing. That's, those are the hands they're playing into, people like that. And it's sad to see. Um, so before, actually, we're, we're going to get here in a minute. But before we do, I just want to put kind of a... Um, cap on this. Uh, Right now, we are in, this is like a a postmodern dream (laughs) right now. You have different narratives, 
And it's very hard to know even who to trust, what narrative to trust. Uh, You look at mainstream outlets, most of them are marching a lockstep on this. You look at alternative news sites, sometimes they get it right. Sometimes uh, they're spouting things that sound kind of fringe and you're not sure. And I think that's the point. The confusion is the point right now. Um, there, there are gatekeepers who want their narrative to be the right one, to, to be the one that you believe, but sometimes they'll let controlled opposition out. Why do you think over the summer there was so much attention, and there still is, on Q? I didn't. I don't go to the Q website. I don't know much about it. Things that I've, people have sent me about Q are usually cryptic and vague, and I don't. I can't make heads or tails out of any of it. I don't know what to, it, to. To me, it just was never beneficial or helpful. But why do you think um, so many mainstream organizations want to talk about Q so much and shine lights on Q? And CNN the other day just did this investigation into a Q group and stuff. They want those people to be the ones that stand against them. They want, that's called controlled opposition. They want to, to platform that group as these are the ones, and we're only gonna let you see them through our lens, by the way. That's why they went after Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, we're gonna characterize her the way we, we're gonna characterize her. And that's our opposition. So you have a binary choice now. It's not Democrats, Republicans, although it kind of can play into that politically. It's bigger than that. It's, it's a culturally bigger thing. It's either with the, the people of, who, who are friends of democracy and civility, and they, they don't believe in what happened on the 6th. They, they want to condemn that. Or you're with these nutcases who believe in Q. That's the, that, that's the dichotomy they want to sell to us. And of course, uh, within that, that whole conspiracy theory world is Christian nationalists, and, and I mean, the list just goes on of all the, all the villains that they want to put in, in this category, but they want to, to make them into cartoon characters. That's why Phil Vischer is being so, so, I think, successful in that group right now, because he, he was someone who did cartoons. And so he can, he can do the stereotypes and stuff. And that's, and every, that's what it's become. It, it, it's cartoon politics at this point, and it, it, it's within the postmodern kind of framework. Uh, it, truth, objective truth does not matter. What actually happened on the 6th, you don't have investigative journalists going after it. What actually took place, who planned it, what groups, uh, th- you don't have any investigative journalists from the mainstream media even caring about those kinds of questions. It's all about painting a narrative and vilifying a certain class of individuals. And Karen Swallow Pryor and people like her are carrying the water for them. They're believing the nonsense. And as a literature person, you'd think she'd know about narrative. It's sad. Now, here's, here's a question that, um, that it's come up a few times, and I, I've thought, ah, I'm not going to go talk about this because it's, it's inconsequential. But you know what? I've thought, no, it's not. It actually is consequential. So let's talk about it. Uh, this is something Daryl Harrison, which, by the way, I love. You should subscribe if you haven't. If you like podcasts, and he hasn't paid me, no one's paid me to say this, but the Just Thinking podcast, I think Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker do a great job, by the way. So the, these are friends. These are not, I'm not going after them in a vicious way or go, even going after them. I'm, I just, I, I have a, maybe a respectful disagreement. And maybe now I don't even have that. I don't know. Um, I, I think um, I appreciate just about everything I've heard uh, from Daryl Harrison. So I need to say that up front. Here's what he tweeted, though, and and he's not the only one that feels this way. He said, Christian entities like Lagos, Lifeway, and others need to realize that the woke bandwagon they're climbing onto is merely a fad, a trend that eventually will fade away, just like all the predecessor fads and trends before this, because it doesn't change people's hearts. Now, there's, I think there's a point there. I think he's making actually a very good point that um, 
it's a, a false gospel is not going to change people's hearts uh, in the same way the true gospel is going to change people's hearts, not in a redemptive way, right? At least. Um, but does it, does it change, does it warp people's hearts? Yes, it does. I mean, so technically it kind of does change people's hearts. It's just not the Holy Spirit doing it, right? Um, so like pick the example we just had, Karen Swallow Pryor and the, the road she's going, she'll never vote for a Republican again. Um, her social media presence, in my opinion, is probably increasing. She's uh, very popular, as are a number of others uh, in that same movement. And I don't see this going away, guys. And the reason I bring this up isn't because of Daryl Harrison. It's just that that was where it caught my eye this last week, the same narrative. I know people like Todd Friel have said this. I think Phil Johnson has said this, who, by the way, uh, love them both. Uh, probably listened to more Todd Friel than maybe uh, 10 years ago or so than almost anyone else. Um, Phil Johnson, love him to death. I really do. So these, again, please don't, if anyone says John went after Daryl Harrison, Phil Johnson, Todd, no, didn't do it. I did not. So that would be a lie. Don't say that because I didn't, and I'm not. Um, I, I have, uh, a possibly, and this is only possibly a, a respectful disagreement with how they're, um, thinking about or, or gauging the, um, the intensity and importance of this issue. I think it has lasting power, and that's and, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I, I don't think I am. I think that the social justice movement uh, is, it's been compared to the emergent church. Like, it's just like the emergent church, a blip on the radar. No, the social justice movement is different than the emergent church in these ways. It's politically motivated and funded. It's a political religion, and all the, <laughs> the power of big business and Hollywood and education and government are all behind it. You can't get away from it. The emergent church never had that. Um, so, so that's, a, that's another thing. Uh, the, the, there's a secular, there's, there's a parallel secular religion, secular, uh, Marxist inspired, postmodernist inspired religion that is already formed and forming in front of us. And the social justice evangelicals are just parroting what they're seeing in that world. That's what it is. Um, but it is a religion. It's, it, this is different than the seeker-sensitive, we're just going to have motorcycles in our church and do cool th music. Um, that wasn't motivated by a secular religion. This is. This has staying power. It has lasting power. It's well-funded uh, by government entities, even. Um, the stakes are very high. It, 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 the, these decisions that are happening on, on all these business and governmental levels are affecting people for years to come. This is more akin to what we saw in Nazi Germany during the German Christian movement, when there was a movement of Christians who wanted to ingratiate themselves to the state and the Nazi narrative. And so they reconfigured their Christianity into the shape of Hitler's agenda. They, they used it to reinforce whatever Hitler's agenda was and cut out or de-emphasized all the areas that would have contradicted what Hitler believed. So, so that's what we see going on right now. That's what you see in the social justice movement in evangelicalism. And, and, and we see this playing out because they, have, they, they are incapable of um, fighting for you know, Christian gender um, beliefs, uh, you know, all the things going on in sports right now. They're not outraged about that. Uh, they're not outraged about what Biden's doing in promoting abortion, getting rid of uh, policies that Trump administration had put in place to limit abortion. They're not outraged by court packing. They're not outraged by uh, environmentalism killing jobs. They're, they, what, and actually, even this morning I saw with Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, looking forward to the, the dreamers becoming citizens. They're not outraged um, by illegal migration. Like, look at all the things that they're, they're not outraged about, and then look at what they are outraged about. 
systemic racism. Uh, what happened, uh, you know, the narrative that there was voter fraud. These are the things that outrage them. They're, they're, they're going to de-emphasize the things, uh, especially those, those things that are actually overtly biblical. I think of gender roles, etc. They're going to de-emphasize those things, not talk about them. They're not important when, the, when the, the left wants to destroy the fabric of our society by destroying women's sports, destroying the family, and then um, destroying competition, really. And then what they want to do is, you know, be walk hand in hand with them when it's something they feel like they can kind of like manipulate scripture to support. So scripture talks about justice, therefore uh, systemic racism. We're going to buy into that whole narrative and say it's wrong and scripture's against it and we'll walk with you on that. That's what you see going on. It's very similar to what happened during the German Christian movement. And that's, that's more of a parallel. It's not the emergent church. It's the German Christian movement. If you're looking for a parallel. I think Michael O'Fallon from Sovereign Nations had a good take on this. And here's what he said. He said, I love my brother Daryl Harrison, but I would clarify that we are witnessing the largest move of a totalitarian cult in the history of mankind. The woke movement is meant to transform everything, everywhere, and to introduce the cult's new system. The role of the new subjective metaphysic in the fourth industrial revolution is necessary in providing the semi-spiritual vacuum that fascist movements need to transcend the physical, the real, and the objective. But the new religion must be completely integrated to the new system and the new paradigm, the new doctrinal morality that guides all. Intersectionality in the perfect, is the perfectly synchronized algocracy. Here's what he's saying. I know there's some big words in there. Saying that this is a new religion that is forming everywhere around us and intersectionality breaks through the objectivity that the fascist government, he's saying fascist, needs this, this authoritarian controlled uh, merger of business and government together, that, that central authority needs to transcend the physical, the real, the objective to be able to get done what they need to have done. They need people to believe things that aren't true. And that's, and that's how they're moving. And, and so this is much bigger than just a fad that's happening in the church. Yes, there are some people that probably are, you know, hey, we can get new members if we just go along. I get it. And, and Daryl Harrison's right about that. But this has lasting power beyond that. And, um, and I think the reason this actually is important is because it will affect the way that we approach it. If, if it's just a fad, and I, I see this playing out, guys. If it's just a fad, then you can just outlast it. That's all you have to do. You just have to wait long enough and the fad goes away. What do you do with other fads? Uh, you wait 10 years <laughs> or, th or one year sometimes, depending on how long a fad lasts. I mean, 10 is a long time. Uh, you know, we, we don't like, uh, you know, perms <laughs> or whatever. Uh, wait, wait, and long hair, you know, wait, wait a few years and it's no longer perms and long hair. I mean, that's, those are fads. So it, I, I can't stand listening to that, whatever music, Backstreet Boys. I don't like listening to the Backstreet Boys. Well, it's a fad. It's going to go pretty soon. This isn't like that, guys. It's not. Uh, this, this, um, I mean, people, people were saying this, I, I, cause I remember people were saying this years ago, like 2018 MLK 50. Ah, oh, it's just a fad yet yeah, stronger now than it was then guys. And it, it's gained steam and momentum. So I think it will fight it harder. We won't try to outlast it. Oh, and, and let me just, one more thing. I, I should probably tell you what I think outlasting it would look like. If you were going to try to outlast something, all you would do this is what you, I would do if I was going to try to outlast something, maybe knowing that it's not going to be a threat soon. I would build alternatives, uh, alternative institutions and groups and whatever uh, to the to, to those that are pushing the, the false narrative. 
And I would probably, because it's going to be just temporary, I wouldn't want to name names. I wouldn't want to call out people too harshly because I realize they're going to be, you know, their, their eyes have been glazed over, but they're going to open their eyes when the fad's over and they're going to realize, oh, you know, it was just a fad and they'll move on and that's all it is. And I'm probably, I'm just not going to be as harsh against them. I'm going to want to, to recruit them. I'm not, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> it's probably not what I'm going to do as much, as much. Uh, I, I'm not going to sound the alarm bells um, about this this horrible religion. I'm not going to produce. Why would I produce material? Why would I write a book on it? Which, by the way, I'm doing right now. But why would I write a book on it if I was the head of a big ministry uh, on, on social justice? Have you wondered why conservative groups haven't put out much material on this in, in evangelicalism? Um, and, and I, look, I, and I don't have the answers to all these questions, and I'm not going after any particular ministry, even though I'm, names of ministries are popping up into my head. But think of seminaries, think of organizations, think of the ones that maybe even you support that are conservative and ask yourself, did they, have they been producing material on this issue? Maybe they have material on all sorts of other things. The charismatic movement, maybe. They go after that. Maybe they'll go after the prosperity gospel. Maybe they'll go after other cults. Um, but this is the one thing that, you know, if you want to find their material on it, maybe, maybe it's a few sermon quotes here or there, or a few, or you, you can't find much. There's not a book. There's not a video series, there's not a small group guide, there's not, it's none of that stuff that they have for other things. And that makes sense if you think you're just trying to outlast a fad. But if you don't think you're trying to outlast a fad, if you think that this is a threat to not just the church, quote unquote, but to everything that you hold dear, your family, your local community, the organizations, that the civic organizations you're involved in, if you think intersectionality is a threat to your very existence, your business, everything that you believe, and it is a true new religion that is coming down the pike, then you're, not, you're going to fight it with everything you have. And I think there's a big separation here, that's my opinion, between some people who are conservative on this issue but don't think it's a threat and the people who do. And by the way, Daryl Harrison, in my opinion, is one of the guys who does more, he does name names and he does go after this stuff. So actually he's not the best example of, of this. Uh, Daryl Harrison is probably one of the, the, the best voices um, that has done more to move the needle, I should say, than almost any other voice on the conservative side of this issue in evangelicalism. And I'm very grateful for him. And, and he's, he's a wonderful brother. So, um, I, I just have uh, perhaps a, a slight disagreement with this. I mean, maybe, maybe if we talked about it um, now, maybe, maybe he would have, you know, I think he even liked these tweets by Michael O'Fallon, by the way. So I think he, he kind of gets it. But I'm using that to make a bigger point because he's not the only one that said this kind of stuff. A lot of people have said this kind of thing. So I wanted to, to make that point. I think it's very important we, we look at this as, as more than a fad. Um, we have to look at it as a false religion. I think James Lindsay um, actually said, I'm going to read for you this thread because I think James Lindsay said one of the uh, most helpful things on this. Um, and he's not a Christian, uh, but, but that's, that's actually the other thing that's a, almost a dividing line is that those who understand Marxism well and totalitarianism and postmodernism and how those things have worked from uh, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau up through the present, those who understand Rousseau and Gramsci and Foucault and Marx and all the Frankfurt School guys, Adorno and Marcuse and all the way up to the critical theorists like Derek Bell and Kimberly uh, Williams Crenshaw, uh, those guys are the ones that seem to get what's happening more than anyone else.
Um, I also see this with people who like lived in Eastern Bloc countries under communism and stuff. They seem to understand what's happening better than anyone else. Cubans seem to understand what's happening better than anyone else. So this is one of those areas where, um, yes, we need to know the Bible. Absolutely. Study the Bible. Be involved in your church. You need more than that to understand this, though. That's not against the sufficiency of Scripture. If you're going to, you know, this is just like any other discipline. You're going to have to understand it so you can apply Scripture to it. And I think we're lacking in many ways in that area. A lot, there's a lot of people that they want to say something about this, but they're going to stick to the ecclesia-centric kind of, you know, church-centered kind of that, that bubble. And only as it affects the ecclesiastical structure in the church will they, you know, say anything. And they don't understand what they're actually dealing with. That, I, I've seen this tendency. And so I, I think because James Lindsay, though he is not a Christian, understands totalitarianism so well, uh, he, he, he's read all the primary sources and so forth. He has, he has an insight into what's actually happening and, and maybe what a good way to react would be. Now, I think as a Christian, we can bring biblical principles into this. Maybe I will. But, but let me just read for you what he says here. He says, people keep asking me how we win this. We don't win, LOL. We throw sand in the gears and wait for the thing to grind itself into its own destruction. Hope we don't lose everything in the process and start rebuilding after the catastrophe ends. Winning has left the building. Now, this is someone who's writing this without a sense of, he's not a Christian. He's not hoping in God. He doesn't have a transcendent standard or hope to look to. He goes on, tyranny is upon us. It may not last long, but it has already begun. The logic is inexorable and for all intents and purposes now unstoppable. The Bolshevik revolution was one thing, Hungarian another, Czech another. Those are the kinds of choices we have now. The intended tyranny regime is to be effectively global and the same everywhere at once. There is no place to run. There is only how long it lasts and none lasts forever. Maybe it's light and only a few months. Maybe it's heavy in a few centuries or otherwise. Advice. Don't go along with a lie for your own part. Cancel anyone who would cancel you or who attempts to before they can achieve it. Empty your organization or institution of these revolutionaries and deal with their temper tantrums like a rock among the waves. Expose what hypocrisy you can, not to them, for not only won't it affect them, they don't see it as a hypocritical in their false morality, but to others so that they might be alerted to it. Help people laugh gently at how ridiculous it is and how silly it is to have fallen for it. Complain as loudly and, as, um, and in as organized and informed a fashion as you can anywhere you can exert influence, which will mostly be locally. This is something, a point I've been making for a while. Get involved in local politics. Pressure your state to protect you from the feds. Pressure your representatives to keep the country free. Probably leave Canada. Do not only question their prescriptions, but their assumptions. Example, you have to do some kind of diversity training, even if it's just to check off a box. No, you don't. That's a lie. Don't go along with lies. Cultivate a good company, institutional culture instead. I can't tell you not to be worried or scared. You absolutely should be, and this will take real courage. I will tell you this, it gets harder, and the longer you wait, it gets scarier. And for more concrete reasons, the longer you wait. As it has been forever, it's easier now. 
he is 100% right, guys. He is 100% right. And this is the kind of thing I wish we were hearing a little more from people even inside the church. The time to stand is now. You, you, if you're nervous, if you're shaking in your boots, what are they going to say? What are they going to... No. <laughs> be wise. I'm not saying not to be, to, to be foolish. But if you have a platform by which to, to make a stand to actually help people, think of loving others, and that includes taking a stand for their rights in this case, if their rights are being threatened. If you're a business owner, don't do the diversity training. Don't do that stuff. Don't buy into it. If you're on the local level, don't buy into it. Uh, I understand that this is now uniform. It doesn't have to be. It wasn't just a few years ago. What, what made it uniform? Um, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot I could say about this, I guess. I, I think of um, just even some of the decisions I'm trying to think through in my own life, where I live. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've had the thoughts go through my head. Hey, where, where could I go? And I'll, actually, I'll tell you where. Um, I'll tell you some of the places I thought of. So in this country, I thought if I'm going to go to another state, um, of course, you know, Texas, every once in a while, you know, people in Texas talk about secession. Uh, I mean, when, when it gets serious, then I'll consider leaving to move there. Um, but but that's for me, that's not an option right now. But hey, look, I'm if that started happening, I, I would, you know, I'd keep an eye on that. Um, obviously, the Dakotas. Uh, Montana, Wyoming, places that are, are conservative, uh, rural, you know, mostly you can be left alone, depending on where you are. Um, some of the deep southern states, uh, even Florida, uh, you have a strong governor there in Ron DeSantis. I've thought about this stuff. Uh, Alaska, you know, um, might be a place. I mean, there, there, there are places out there that states where there is a little more freedom and the um, incursions might not be quite as bad. But at best, that's a, that's a, you're just buying time. I thought about Europe. I thought about, well, what about Poland or, or um, I think the other one I was looking at might've been Czechos. No, no, I think it, it wasn't Czechos, Hungary, Hungary or Poland. What about those places? They, I think Poland just banned abortion, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they seem more conservative. And, and the, the truth is though, James Lindsay is right. There's no place to get away from all this stuff. There's no bubble you can go, and, and we're not called to do that as Christians. And here's where I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you more of a Christian perspective uh, on this. Jesus, he fled a lot, didn't he? I mean, it wasn't his time yet. So the Pharisees wanted to kill him, and he disappears in the crowd. I mean, this Jesus did that a lot. Um, but that being said, Jesus did still put himself in dangerous situations. So did the apostles. Many of them died because of it. And we are not guaranteed a safe life in this world. That shouldn't be our main pursuit, safety. Yes, we want to try to protect those we love, but it's not an end in and of itself. Um, that's, that's part of our calling is to protect our families. I, I understand that. But we have to be in a place where at best we can still fulfill the Great Commission. There's got to be people. You can't just be in the middle of the woods. There's got to be people um, uh, or at least if you're in the middle of the woods, you got to be able to travel somewhere on a regular basis to be with people so that you can fulfill the Great Commission. You can be involved in some kind of a church structure of some kind. Those things are necessary. Those things are not negotiable. And you're going to have to also take a vocal stand. And it's coming to the point now where just basic Christian truths are offensive. And you can try all day to avoid the issues. You won't be able to avoid them anymore. Uh, you will be targeted because you will have to speak up. 
even just going out and evangelizing, um, I'm guarantee you the issue of uh, sexuality is going to come up. You're going to have to talk about it somehow. And if you do, and you stay true to what the Bible says, it'll cost you. And you need to be strong enough in that day. And the hope comes from the fact that God sees what's happening and he will bless you in that. And that doesn't mean necessarily you'll even keep your life depending on the situation, but he will protect you in, 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 within his will. And so far as he wants to protect you, he will, and he will use you and he knows your family. And, um, and so I think, you know, one second after death, whenever it comes, cause it comes to all of us, you'll be in his presence. And who, who do you want to fear more? Who do you want to, who, whose audience do you, do you want to play to more? Uh, the king of the universe who has the, all the, the treasures waiting for those who, who love and follow him, his children, or do you want to play toward the fear of the world and constantly be living not as a man, but as half a man, a pathetic, weak man or woman who could have, could have taken a stand, could have done something, but didn't because they waited too long and now it's too late. And now they're, they have shrunken souls, compromised souls. Listen, guys, it's not, it's, not ever, it's not ever really too late. It may feel that way, but you can take a stand. And so I'm encouraging you to do it. If you're, if you're a pastor, talk about this stuff in your church. Hold, take no prisoners when you do it. All right, that's my little pep talk. But I, I think James Lindsay's got the right um, understanding. Uh, he sees the problem here. Uh, I want to talk about cancel culture. We're going to, I think, wrap things up with this uh, just because of time constraints. So um, some hypocrisy here I wanted to point out. Gina uh, Carano uh, was an actress who played on a, a show called The Mandalorian, and she was fired uh, for this post. Um, she says, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? So this is the post. And uh, the, here's the statement from Disney. Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm, and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Nevertheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. She's fired. Now, I want to show you. This is uh, Pedro Pascal, and this is what he put in 2018. He posted this. Germany, 1944. Some kids behind a barbed wire in a concentration camp. And then America, 2018 kids in cages. And uh, this is supposed to basically draw a parallel that Germany in 1944 is the same as America in 2018. Uh, in, in Trump's America, we're reliving, you know, Nazism. In my opinion, that's what much worse, what he's trying to promote there, he, the, the comparison he's making. It's because it's not a fair comparison if you know anything about what was happening at the border and why kids had to be separated. Um, in fact, I think that photo is even a fake, to be honest with you. I don't even think that was a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think that might've been staged, but, uh, but the, the fact remains that there were kids put in holding facilities where they were given food and they were giving toys and all these kinds of things, uh, because many people going, coming across the border, um, were bringing in kids that weren't theirs and they had to somehow adjudicate this. Uh, and, and yeah, nothing like Germany, 1944. 
All Gina Carano is saying is that they're, they're, she wasn't even making the comparison um, that you know Democrats are Nazis or anything. All she's saying is that uh, the government made, um, made people hate their own neighbors. And isn't that happening today? And basically canceling her proved her point. <laughs> she's not allowed to say that. And now she's being hated all over social media for doing this. It's proving her point. So double standard right there. Here's another double standard for you. Morgan Wallen. Morgan Wallen is a country music singer who was um, caught while drunk using the N-word. And he used a bunch of, actually used a bunch of other words that were used to be more offensive to Christians, actually, in some ways. But that doesn't matter anymore because the N-word is the worst thing you could ever say. Uh, which was, and he shouldn't have said it, and it was wrong for him to say it. But, um, but, but the reaction against him is very strong, even though he, he apologized. In fact, here's what he said in his, uh, well, actually, you know, I'll play that in a minute. Here, here's the reaction first. Um, you have a DJ apologizing for playing Morgan Wallen's song, a Morgan Wallen song during the Super Bowl after party. Diplo is his name. Literally apologizing for playing a song. I guess if you play the guy's song, that must mean you agree with saying the N-word. I, I don't understand. A Jason Isbell will donate songwriting royalties from Morgan Wallen album to the NWACP. So Jason Isbell has written some songs that Morgan Wallen, I guess, has made hits. And now he's going to take, take that money and don't... don't <laughs> I mean... The, I mean, this is so far removed. What, the songs are now tainted somehow? The songs that he sang are tainted because he said the N-word? They're, they're bad now? And the royalties that were uh, given to the songwriter, who's not Morgan Wallen, are now somehow, that's like, that's evil money? I mean, you know, talk about, you know, what did Jesus say about, um, you know, something being unclean, uh, about clean, cleanliness and uncleanliness, right? That something is unclean, uh, when it comes from the inside, when it comes from your heart, <laughs> that's where all the evil comes from. It's it's not in in washing dishes, uh, and oh no, it's unclean. It it this is this is religious guys. It's it's unclean because we're you know three steps in. <laughs> Morgan Wallen said this. Morgan Wallen sang a song. This guy wrote the song. This guy profited from the song. That money is now unclean money. I mean, look at look at this from a religious sense. This is religious. Radio cancels Morgan Wallen. Radio stations now, we're not going to play his songs. Singer Morgan Wallen suspended from his label. He can't record albums anymore. Now, pretty pretty harsh stuff. And, and he did apologize profusely. Here's, here's what he said, though. And one thing I've learned already is I'm specifically sorry for is that it matters. My words matter. A word can truly hurt a person. And at my core, that's not what I'm okay with. This week I heard firsthand some personal stories from black people that honestly shook me. And I know what I'm going through this week doesn't even compare to some of the trials I heard about from them. I came away from those discussions with a deep appreciation for them and a clearer understanding of the weight of my words. I wish the circumstances were different for me to learn these things, but I'm also glad it started the process for me to do so. I've got many more things to learn, but I already know that I don't want to add to any division. This week was a big lesson that sometimes we can do just that without even knowing it. Our actions matter. Our words matter. And I just want to encourage anyone watching to please learn from my mistake. Now, that's interesting, in my opinion, that he, he's basically he's going through a re-education camp. This is like a struggle session. You're watching a struggle session, if you're familiar with the Maoist Communist Party and what they did. 
uh, he is basically taking all responsibility for it and putting himself in still, even though he's having all these things happen to him, he's still the oppressor. He's still, uh, because you know what? The peop- uh, these, ra- these minorities are just so much more oppressed than me. Um, except here is a minority, Nick Cannon, someone who's a minority in this country, uh, and his career is skyrocketing right now, or at least it's, it's coming back. He's, um, uh, Nick Cannon reunites with Viacom CBS for a new season of Wild and Out. Well, let me tell you what Nick Cannon said last year. The people that don't have melanin are, and I'm going to say this carefully, a little less, a little less, sorry. They're a little less. When they didn't have the power of the sun, it started to deteriorate them. So then they're acting out of fear. They're acting out of low self-esteem. They're acting out of a deficiency. So therefore, the only way that they can act is evil. They have to rob, steal, rape, kill in order to survive. It's talking about white people. And when I say we, I speak of the melanated people. They had to be savages. They're acting as animals. So they're the ones that are actually closer to animals. They're the ones that are actually the true savages. Hmm. The masked singer host added that his statements aren't anti-Semitic because Semitic people are black people and that black people are the true Hebrews. Nick Cannon said that last year. Now let me give you the reaction. According to a joint statement from Lionsgate and its syndication company, Debmar Mercury, Cannon's talk show will no longer debut this year. His show, titled Nick Cannon, was scheduled to launch October 5th. After conversations with Nick, we do believe that his public comments don't reflect his true feelings and his apology is heartfelt and sincere. Except he didn't apologize. Anyway, the statement continued, We want to continue the healing process as he meets with leaders of the Jewish community, engages in the dialogue with our distribution partners to hear their views. The statement indicates that the companies are looking to air Cannon's show by fall 2021. So a temporary suspension is all he got. Because, well, he didn't really mean it. That's what they're saying. And notice, it was, you know, the white people in general, it doesn't matter. It's just, well, Jewish people were included in that, so he's got to go apologize to the Jewish community. Uh, are you seeing, are you seeing the, the, the group that has maybe the least amount of pull socially here? You know, it, that the statements I just read you against all melanin deficient people would not just be Jewish people, but but that's the, the those are the people that they're concerned with offending. I continue. Um, he said, uh, or this article said, this USA Today article, we are standing by Nick in our hope that by fall 2021, um, he's able to use his extraordinary talent to and platform to entertain, enlighten, and unite his audience on the Nick Cannon talk show. The statement continued, Lionsgate and Debmar Mercury condemn anti-Semitism, racism, hate speech. It runs counter to everything we stand for. <laughs> but but it's it's the anti-Semitism that's the issue, I guess. It's not it's not the going after all white people. When Viacom CBS fired Cannon, so he was fired. Uh, the network said in a statement to USA Today, it condemns bigotry of any kind, and we categorically denounce all forms of anti-Semitism. We uh, support ongoing education and dialogue in the fight against bigotry, and we're deeply troubled that Nick has failed to acknowledge or apologize for perpetuating anti-Semitism, and we are terminating our relationship with him. Well, it wasn't so terminated because he has his show back now. Viacom CBS has him has hired him again, and now he's hosting the show again. Um, he did meet with a a, a rabbi, so he had this session, kind of like um, uh, the country singer that I was just talking about, uh, Wallen, uh, did you know go go meet with the offended group? But of course. There, there is no representative of all Europeans, right? So he didn't have to go meet with them. 
And, and, and of course, this Jewish rabbi vouched for him. He's genuinely concerned. You know, Nick Cannon is, you know, he's genuinely concerned. He's fine. Now, here's, here, here's the ironic thing in all this. You have, um, <laughs> you have this, this singer, Wallen, who uh, is treated, I mean, like, the, <laughs> he is treated so much worse than Nick Cannon, even though what he did was not meant to be recorded, was he was under the influence of alcohol at the time, which those, those things used to be the things that would be scandalous, not anymore, I guess. Um, Nick Cannon does this on a talk show for everyone to hear. Like, it, it's not, it's totally, it's more premeditated what Nick Cannon did. And yet, who's the one that's being harshly treated? Nick Cannon gets a slap on the wrist just because it included Jewish people. If he hadn't said what he said about Jewish people, who knows what would have happened? He might have been just fine uh, saying that white people are like animals, melanin deficient people. But uh, Morgan Wallen, no forgiveness there. No forgiveness there. And look at the penance that he's trying to go through, the hoops that he's going to jump through of still thinking that he's somehow the oppressor, that he's so bad, that he's got, you know, still has the, he's, he's engaging in a lie. Compare what he's going through to what Nick Cannon's going through. You tell me where the privilege is. Tell me where the privilege is. Because it's certainly not with Morgan Wallen. And again, I'm not defending what Morgan Wallen said. I'm not, I'm not even like a Morgan Wallen fan or anything like that. But I'm, I'm pointing out the hypocrisy here. I'm pointing out the world that we're entering. And we got to stand up to it. If you're in a record label, if you work for a record label and you have the opportunity, you need to, you need to stand up to this stuff. This, this cannot go on like this. Uh, there's no forgiveness for certain things. And they're very arbitrary. Uh, um, and here, here's something that's interesting. And this is what makes me think that working class people in general aren't buying it. Um, Morgan Wallen's re recording contract has been suspended, right? But his popularity is skyrocketing. And USA Today asks, how did we get here? Yeah, the elites are always shocked by what the commoners do. The commoners aren't buying this. And it's one of the things I've, I've tried to reinforce is that um, common people right now, they, they're not going along with this stuff. They still see it as ridiculous. But the elites in just about every institution are lining up to say the same narrative. If you come out against this stuff, you're not alone, guys. Now, even if you were alone, you should still come out against this kind of hypocrisy. But you, you're not. There's a lot of people who agree with you. And I, I think the buying of his albums, is make, it's a statement that people don't buy it. They don't want this guy canceled when he's apologized for this. And there's people like Nick Cannon running around not apologizing for saying things that are more premeditated and far worse. Um, and and I, think, I think people are seeing this. I think a lot of people are seeing this. So I just wanted to point that out. A uh, few, uh, here's what God's word says. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measurement of weight or volume. You shall have accurate balances, accurate weights, and accurate epoch, and an accurate hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19, 35 through 36. Deuteronomy 117, you are not to show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You are not to be afraid of any person, for the judgment is God's. Hear that, guys? Don't be afraid. The case that is too difficult for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. Uh, Proverbs 20, 23, differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. I'm not sure what translation I got that one from. That doesn't sound like the NASB I usually quote from. James 2.9, 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the laws as violators. And if there's one thing to tie all of this together, guys, it's that the sin of partiality is rampant right now. Karen Swallow Pryor is guilty of it. Uh, the censor proportion she has. Um, the uh, Those that are canceling um, Morgan Wallen uh, right now, uh, who are acting like this is the worst thing in the world, they're guilty of it. The entertainment industry is guilty of it. Um, the And... And the, the the whole thing with the, the the actors in Star Wars and canceling one while keeping another when they uh, did things that were kind of equivalent, uh, you know, Lucas Films, Disney, they're they're hypocrites. We're seeing mass hypocrisy on a scale that that I've just never seen before in my life, and the Lord hates it. And you need to know that the Lord hates this; He detests this. Um, and there's many other verses that we could have put in here, but this is a sin of partiality having one standard for one group and another standard for another group based on nothing more than an arbitrary favor favoring of them because 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 of a political narrative that's not even true we have to stand against it the time is now guys the time is now don't put it off to tomorrow take your stand now wherever you are and i i know some of you feel very compromised in the positions you're in you want to get out you want Take a stand. <laughs> if they cancel you, they cancel you and trust God. And I know that's a hard thing. It's so hard. I understand. Sometimes it is so hard. You're, you, you think you're in a position of whether you, or not you can feed your family or whether you can take a stand. And I encourage you to pray and to trust God and to have some backbone. Uh, and there, the, the unfortunate thing is there's a lot of people in positions where they would be able to still feed their family and they're still not taking a stand because it would, might hurt their book sales or something like that. I'm not sure. Forget about the vain glory, guys. Forget about it. It doesn't matter in the eternal scheme. Take a stand for what's right here and now. And, uh, and that's all I have for you today. There's um, some, some of you have uh, sent me things on NAM. Uh, next time we'll be talking about that, I think, uh, or at least in one of the future shows, North American Mission Board, um, some interesting developments there. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And um, yeah, there's a few other updates too, but, uh, but I, these are the main things I wanted to, to get to you today uh, before you start the weekend. So uh, hey, God bless. And until next time, um, I hope you have a great weekend. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 